Welcome once again to Shift of the Gaze, Our Theology for Our World. I'm Michael Kimpan with Dr. Joanne Marie Terrell, Associate Professor of Theology, Ethics, and the Arts at Chicago Theological Seminary. As a reminder, the theoretical and foundational framework for our podcast is based upon Dr. Terrell's Ten Tenets of Art, the first eight of which we've explored in our first four episodes. In review, the first of the ten tenets of art is, everyone is an artist. The second, anyone can be an artist in any medium if she or he is or they are willing to be a beginner. Number three, art is not merely a product, but a process of letting something happen. Number four, artists let something happen by doing and not doing. Artists are practiced in letting. The fifth, artists move things around, whether words, musical notes, commitments and perspectives, or paint on a canvas so that they can let transformation happen. The sixth, artists affirm the priority of story over performance, but the more practiced we are at letting the story be told through our medium, the better the performance. Seventh, art can be utilitarian if it bespeaks alliance with life. And finally, from our most recent podcast episode, the eighth tenet reads, Art, like beauty, is in the eye, ear, and heart of the beholder, hearer, and lover. Thus, it is both the endeavor and the relationship between artist and audience that count more than the performance itself. Performance still counts. We begin this fifth episode of Shift of the Gaze with a consideration of tenets number 9 and 10, which read respectively, Art can facilitate or hinder prospects for authentic relationships. And the tenth, the artist's own capacity for transformation, resurrection, is ultimately what is being tested. Taken within the framework of the preceding tenets and our focus of the Shift of the Gaze podcast is a culturally, socially, and politically progressive space in which we discuss world issues and events through the lenses of art and theology, the ninth tenet conjures up questions regarding the intent of the artist as well as the receptivity and sensual perception of the audience as we explored in episode four. Dr. Terrell, how does this ninth tenet concerning the making of authentic relationships build upon and even expand on the previous tenets we've explored? I have a saying, the point of theology is in the doing, both in what it does to a person and in what it makes a person do. I articulated this when I was a fledgling theologian in order to demonstrate my growing understanding of the inseparable nature of the disciplines of theology and ethics. And that conviction has only grown more certain in the 25 years since I began teaching theology and ethics, incorporated the arts in my pedagogy, and owned up to my identity as an artist. Theology is God talk, really human speak, about the one to whom the 13th century Sufi mystic Rumi refers as the one true beloved the one true subject of our longing, God. Ethics is the science of morality. It considers how people are to behave relative to one another, and we can extend that to a whole creation-centered ethic. Though the idea of God may or may not factor in, ethics is always relational. One cannot be ethical by oneself. Ethics is always contextual, It concerns the ethos of a social group, whether one is speaking of society as a whole, specific communities and subsets of communities, corporations, religious communities, families, and individuals in relationship. 
A system of ethics can inform both what is right and wrong and what is good and right in the aforementioned constellation of relationships. Of course there are others. Here's where art and ethics intersect. Art can be reflected in the multiplicity of forms of creativity, a fact we are recognizing on this platform. Artists are potentially everyone, especially as they regard themselves sacramentally as works of art, in religious language as mirrors of the creativity and character of God. When persons as artists enter into relationship with each other, the recognition of oneself as a work of art and as an artist, and the recognition of others as works of art and as artists as well, having their own independent merit, having their own incalculable value, not to be judged, but rather to be appreciated, not to be compelled to sameness, but rather to be valued for one's own distinctiveness while valuing oneself the distinctiveness of one's own gifts and giftedness, these elements of sacramentality open up the possibility of unimaginable delight at the beauty we will discover in each other's faces and in each other's unique character that has manifested out of our embodied experiences and thought processes, some of which are conditioned and some of which we have managed to shape for ourselves despite what we absorb from the various contexts in which we developed. Learning to appreciate ourselves is a key soteriological principle, the pursuit of which will save us from the idea that we are inadequate. And if we can afford the same appreciation to others, we will be saved from the idea that others are inadequate. They are not inadequate. They are unique, just as we are. This does not rule out personal preferences. In fact, as Alice Walker said, we can and should relax, go with everything that's going, and praise God by liking what we like. Neither does this rule out the necessity of prophetic and warranted critiques of toxic systems and persons affected by them. Self-critique is sometimes warranted as well, because when we truly learn anything, anything at all, whether it is about ourselves or others, we change, because we are compelled to reorient ourselves to newly revealed truth. The Lord has more truth and more light to be revealed in and for us. Nor does the uniqueness of individuals mitigate the need for what premier womanist theologian Dolores Williams described as a permanent posture of self-defense against what she called the demonarchy in which we live and move and navigate our humanity. Humankind is undoubtedly in a perpetually intensifying struggle to be saved from the abyss of hopelessness, lovelessness, and mean-spiritedness of the systems that seek to define our existence, for which prophets in every age, society, and culture gave the remedy of genuine hospitality as the first principle of any good religion, salvation, and enlightenment. Keeping an open mind concerning others, their capacity for growth, and concerning ourselves and our capacity for unlimited growth is essential to the survival, wholeness, and liberation of persons who seek to be in authentic relationships. 
Learning to think for ourselves is another soteriological key to open doors that can lead to endless possibilities of delight and joy in the world at hand, in the relationships we can have if we live authentically. Living authentically as ourselves, living artistically and appreciating, feasting upon even the artistry of others, will be in us, as Jesus described it, a well of water springing up into everlasting life, tes ontes zoen, life which is life indeed, sacred life, life together. The practice of appreciating one's self seems to be an essential component of creating the capacity within oneself to appreciate anything else. The adage, you can't love anyone until you love yourself, comes to mind. In order for us to engage sacramentally with the world around us, we have the invitation to commit ourselves to the acknowledgement and celebration of the divine spark present within our neighbors just as much as we see it in ourselves. You've also stated that God is the nearest neighbor. This proximity and invitation to be in relationship to God begs the question of how to be in relationship with the divine, particularly when the seemingly simplistic but powerful example of Eurocentric art consistently depicts a white Jesus, hindering and even hijacking the theological imagination and creating a false anthropomorphic understanding of God as white. God is the nearest neighbor. Isn't it telling how in the book of Genesis the first lie is told against God, causing the first parents to focus on their presumed inadequacies rather than on the sufficiency, provision, love, and companionship or nearness of God? If we really regard God as the nearest neighbor, this means that Jews, Christians and Muslims are enjoined not to bear or to believe false witness about God. Muslims wisely, I think, avoid iconographic depictions of God. Let me be clear, though. Eurocentric Christian art is anthropomorphic and androcentric, and therefore it is false. Eurocentric depictions are limited and limit the creative imagination to white depictions of God and Jesus Christ, who was historically and categorically non-white and also ontologically black. And therefore, these are false. At shift of the gaze, we oppose this falsity, not because we want to preclude white people from the presumption of Imago Dei, but because the stranglehold of centuries of white control over images and discourses concerning God and Jesus Christ and the projection of those images in the image of white men and in discourses that are framed in terms of white, Western, capitalistic, individualistic, pietistic, social, political, and cultural values undermines the sacramentality of the seven-eighths of the people in the world who are non-white, many, if not most of whom, are poor, over half of whom are women, whose social, political, and cultural values are undergirded by communality, regard for the common good. Where they have been successfully missionized, not only having been Christianized, but also affected by the colonialist, individualistic, and capitalistic mindset and subjected to the white gaze on themselves, 
These people deserve the presumption of uniqueness and divine imprimatur, the exercise of their creativity and our appreciation thereof. Where indigenous religions have not been totally obfuscated, or even where they exert a powerful influence on the general populace in places, for example, where Christianity is the minority religion, people may also exhibit certain kinds of pieties that their several religions inculcate. Nevertheless, all people deserve justice. Unfortunately, the Western gaze fosters closed-minded definitions of art and beauty, validates some images, and controls much of the discourse about what and who can be considered beautiful. For billions of people in the world, this forecloses a sacred understanding of themselves, hindering prospects for authentic relationship with themselves and with others. Dr. Terrell, what you're describing reminds me of what Native American historian George Tinker called cultural genocide in relation to the European missionary conquest of the Americas in the 15th and 16th centuries, acknowledging that this erasure of culture, religion, heritage, language, etc., is not merely limited to the annals of history, but it continues today, though the oppression is often employed through economic, not simply militaristic methods. And all of this, of course, brings us to the question of our own perspective or shift of the gaze as we ask how we might live consciously in bringing about the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. Your final tenet may be of particular interest to those of us who are internally wrestling with the question of what then must we do? And the last of your 10 tenets of art, which serve as a theoretical foundation for the podcast, may be helpful for us in answering that question. It, it states, the artist's own capacity for transformation, resurrection, is ultimately what is being tested. Dr. Terrell, what do you mean by that? I simply mean by this that the exercise of our artistic gifts is an exercise in faith that we are art. We ourselves are canvas, and we make ourselves. It is an exercise in faith that we are artists and can choose a variety of media that suit us. Whatever our genre, the exercise of our artistic gifts and giftedness is an exercise in faith that when we let something happen, something beneficial can happen in ways that can surprise and delight us and to the extent we consciously and devotedly ally with life can make us more aware of and accountable to the whole world. Acknowledging our uniqueness, our limitations, and the ways we ourselves and others are delimited in the world at hand, and submitting to the creative process will yield something more, add to our personal stories, make us more useful, and reveal one more nuance in the development of our character and purpose. This is why Jesus' statement to Nicodemus, you must be born again, is so revolutionary, because it implies that one can be born again. And I don't think it's a one-time thing, because we die in a variety of ways multiple times in our lifetimes. I'm saying that opening one's eyes to our sacredness and the sacredness of others, and submitting oneself to the creative process is the way one is born again and again. 
Despite the bastardization of this principle of being born again by a decidedly white evangelical and dispensational theology, there's an opportunity for each of us to daily be born anew in shifting our perspectives toward the common good for common folks, which is just common sense. Perhaps this is more in line with the teachings of the Roman epistle, which states, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Of course, doing good is quite common. There are many individuals and organizations doing good all around us every day. In our context, in our ethos, however, what is uncommon is an orientation toward justice for others, for our neighbor, for our communities, and the sharing of resources, of knowledge, the sharing of communal values, which not only uphold and esteem, but also fight for justice and dignity for all people, regardless of whether or not we ourselves are directly affected, or I should say whether or not we ourselves are aware that we are affected by the inequities inherent in our society's status quo. Dr. Terrell, thank you so much for helping us think through the practical implications of your 10 tenets of art as individuals in relationship with a gaze geared toward sacramentality, seeking new ways of seeing, finding, and making beauty in the world. And I give thanks for you, Michael, for your accompaniment on this podcast. I give thanks for all of the religious and scholarly traditions that deepen our reflection on what it means to hold the entire cosmos in sacred regard, to be accountable to truth and justice, to be responsible artists in deep alliance with life. We conclude this podcast series on the 10 tenets of art that will inform us going forward. The next series on Shift of the Gaze will reflect on the questions, what is the common good and how do we achieve it? We conclude this podcast with Anders Paulson's Dance to Life from the album Don Hoogan Sanctuary. In the Augustinian spirit of sacramentality, as you celebrate your own intrinsic worth and the worth of humanity in all creation, even as you struggle to affirm these, as always, we hope you dance.